Hello everyone and welcome to Marking the Roll. This is episode 33. My name's Phil Dye. I'm your host. This is the last in season six. We'll be back um, in a few weeks' time in the fourth term in Australia um, with uh, another four episodes. And this is a big week in Australia because it is the first time that a national free-to-air TV station has been brave enough to put on a program that um, tells the truth about gender transitioning of school-age young people uh, in their program called Spotlight on Channel 7 last Sunday night. Uh, and they're no doubt getting heaps and heaps of flack from activists uh, for that. But uh, thank you to journalist Liam Bartlett for having the courage to come out and uh, tell the truth about what is actually happening to young people in this country. And this episode is very much connected to that. This is one of the only episodes uh, we've had that is uh, directed at parents. Yes, it is relevant to teachers, but it's mainly for parents. And it is on how to protect your child from the dangerous gender ideology that's being preached in schools in Australia. It's worse in Victoria, but it's going Australia-wide. Now, this podcast is not anti-trans at all, uh, but we certainly are uh, against the gender transitioning of uh, people under the age of 18. We know in Australia that um, young school-age people are being fed puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones um, in order to change gender, and that uh, has lasting repercussions on their lives. Internationally, it's become such a big issue that September 14 has been named as Unteach the Overreach Day, where uh, parents are asked to keep their uh, child at home to protest about this um, intrusion of gender ideology into schools. And many parents are very, very concerned because it's taking what used to be the uh, place of mum and dad to explain to the kids what's happening and you know these difficult things in the world about gender and about homosexuality um, about lots of things and it's now been taken over by schools not just by the school but by third party providers that go into the school um, and are approved by uh, Nessa um, and by the eSafety Commission um, to do this and a lot of parents are simply not happy. And as you will hear from my guests, while it might look great on the surface and the topic areas, yes, they're pretty necessary and useful, uh, the devil is in the detail. It's in the activities that the kids are given. It's in the case studies and the scenarios. So um, it's often hidden away in the background, this gender ideology stuff that you have to be very careful of. I thought we'd start this off with a um, a recording that some students took from Rye College in the UK. And this is where they are having a disagreement with the teacher who's teaching them all about gender ideology. Um, and they, they come out pretty well, actually. Have a listen. And I apologise for the uh, quality of the audio, but the, the, one of the uh, kids was recording it from his phone in his pocket. You've just really upset someone. Saying things like should be in an asylum. I didn't say that. I just said if they if they want to identify as a cow or something, then they're like genuinely unwell. Then they've gone yeah, they're crazy. You were questioning their identity. I wasn't a question. I was just saying about the gender. I didn't say anything about them. But where did you get this idea from? There's only two genders. If I respect their opinion, can't they respect mine? It is not an opinion. It's not an opinion. There's only a boy and a girl. There's no other private part. There's only two. Gender is not linked to do with the not linked to the parts that you were born with. Gender is about how you identify, which is what I said right from the very beginning of the lesson. I just don't agree with that. So why should I have to listen? Biological, biological sex. There is actually. Three biological sexes, because you can be born intersex. You can be born with male and female body parts or hormones. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, there's three. I'm talking about biological sex. In terms of gender, there are 
lots of genders. There is transgender, there is agender, people yeah, that don't believe they have a gender at all. Yeah, but you can't have that. You, are, no, you, you can't have, have that. It's not a law. Yeah, but it's, it's just, not a law. It's our opinion. We just don't agree with it. We if, they, it's all just if, if you have a vagina, you're a girl. You have a penis, you're a boy. Yeah. So. But cisgender is not necessarily the way to be. Is you are talking about the fact that cisgender is the, the norm. That you identify with the gender that of the sexual organs that you're born with yeah. or you're with. That's yeah. basically what you're saying. Yeah. Which is really despicable. How? When it's if I called true. my mum right now, my mum would be on my side. If I called my mum, she'd say. Well, that's very sad. Well, then. How is it? Loads of people agree with that. There's only a small majority of people who actually think that. And why do you think we have so many problems in the world with homophobia? conversation about edu about equality, diversity and inclusion because I'm not having that expressed in my lesson. When I'm teaching you about you can be who you want to be, how you identify is up to so you. Everyone else thinks it, they just don't say it because then all yeah. this happens. Maybe because they're polite and maybe they're sensitive. I've never, I haven't said anything in all of the lessons I've been in. It's just because they turn around and start saying something. So I said, how can you identify as a cat when you're a girl? But yeah. we're now writing a statement. I would imagine oh. that you'll be asked to write a statement as well. We will. Yeah, we will. And gee, I think Miss Willis better read some biology text because even if you do identify as a cow, uh, that little girl is still a girl. And gee, I better correct that teacher because there's not uh, three sexes. Uh, I used to teach about intersex at the University of New South Wales. Um, and uh, intersex is not a sex at all. It's when people are born with characteristics of both sexes. And often that um, irons itself out in life or the person can choose later on in life. Um, but it is a chromosomal abnormality. And um, most intersex people, according to most recent research, don't want anything to do with the LGBTI community at all. Now, the question I'm asked most is, how can I um, get my child away from this ideology? Um, but after that, the question usually is, but how did it even get into schools in the first place? Um so I thought I would ask Kat Karina. Kat has been working in this space for a long period of time. Kat hosts several websites um, on this issue and one specifically for parents. And uh, those web addresses will be on the episode notes. Um, she's a New Zealander and New Zealand has been doing a lot of work in this um, and started uh, Resist Gender Education New Zealand um, and I thought I would ask her how and when this first started. In 2011, I looked at all the laws um, that had gent the word sex in it. And what I found interesting, after 2011, they were changing the word sex to gender. But then that, what happened is they changed the meaning of gender. So they managed to hijack all these laws to be mean something completely different because they changed that word, one word to gender. Okay, so that's in general language, but how did it get into the education space? I'm, I'm sorry, but a lot of this actually came out of the education space. People who wanted to have social change and social justice and had all these ideas, um, and it's based around um, heteronormativity. So people like Ross Ward from La Trobe University and three others wrote um, the program, Safe Schools Program. Have you heard of that? Yes, almost certainly. It's been banned in New South Wales. I think it still goes occasionally in Victoria, doesn't it? You, you think it's banned, but I've been working on the sex and gender guidelines. And what we found is all it's been is it's been relabeled. It's still being taught. So it's been relabeled. Yeah. So Rose, Rose Ward is a main writer of that. And she admitted in the Marxist conference in 2015 that though it was you know, purported to be an anti-bullying campaign for LGBTQIA, 
she admitted that it actually had nothing to do with the thought it was to go against heteronormativity. So from a Marxist point of view, the people who've got all the power are heterosexuals. And what they want to do is they want to normalize all other sexualities. And when I'm talking about all other sexualities, I'm not talking about just gay or bisexual. I'm talking about any sexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, BDSM, all to be normal and accepted and all to be taught from zero age up. If you notice recently who have been putting um, guidelines out um, in Europe for um, sexual training from zero age up, but we've got that in our curriculum material too. It's been um, written mainly and influenced by trans activists. Okay, so they're against heteronormativity, which is just being normal heterosexual. Uh, the World Health Organization are involved, but is there any science behind it at all? They, they're getting most of their ideas from Alfred Kinsey, and Alfred Kinsey believed that sex was just like any other biological urge. It had nothing to do with social um, norms or making people connected with each other or anything like that. It was just like eating. And he believed that everybody from zero age and up was sexual. He was quite a monster. His, his, his ideas have been accepted across many different education platforms, but they're behind a lot of what's coming in the curriculum. But this has happened on a worldwide basis, Kat. How, how did it get to be so global? At this point, I'm going to start at something that's called the Denton's Handbook. Have you heard of the Denton's Handbook before? I have, and I think it's something listeners might be interested in. The real name of it is actually, it's a, a manual put together. It's an advocacy handbook, a transgender diverse advocacy handbook. And it's called Only Adults, Good Practices and Legal Gender Recognition for Youth. And it was a collaboration between um, Denton's, which is the biggest law firm in the world. They're every single place. They're lawyers for Stryker, global pharmaceutical companies. The book was to uh, give social justice warriors the eight to nine common goals they needed to pursue in every single country to bring about the laws that they want to to embed gender identity ideology. So this Denton's handbook specifically targets youth and it's meant for uh, social justice activists um, in order to use that to get the best results. How about we go through them sort of one by one and look at the implications for parents and teachers and, of course, <laughs> the implications for the students? What, what, what was the first one? Self-ID, which means no requirement for sterilisation, surgical or medical treatment or diagnosis for adults. So self-ID, this is what the gay independent politician Alex Greenwich uh, for New South Wales is trying to introduce um, so that's for adults, and I guess coming on from that, kids would be able to self-ID as the other gender, or indeed sometimes as a cat. What's number two? They wanted to make sure that all gender affirmation um, treatments uh, were swift and affordable. Uh, they have nothing to pay, and this is also the legal process of gender identity recognition. So, um, so a student at school, a child at school who believes that they are in the wrong body, they're, they're, they're the other gender, the affirmation has got to be quick, start them on the puberty blockers quickly, um, and then onto the hormones. But surely then parents would have a say in it all. They want to make sure minors um, remove the parental consent to any medical and social transitioning so the parents didn't get a say. So for parents, they wanted to exclude you from the decision-making process. And they also want to remove um, the age of, of um, sex, um, to have sex for children. So no age of consent. And this gets back to the Michael Foucault uh, philosophies of the 1970s and 80s, that uh, kids can have a sexual life with adults. Um, they also want to remove the whole idea of there being sex. So you didn't have sex on the birth certificate. Uh, legally, you wouldn't have a boy or a girl. You would only have gender. And they would have to try to find out what their gender was, their gender identity was. They also want to bring in a third gender, which is basically, it turns out to be non-binary, where you're neither male or female or anything. <laughs> So this is also what Alex Greenwich is talking about introducing, I believe. Um, and they also, most importantly, they recognise the need to bring in extreme sanctions 
for breaching any law related to gender recognition or gender identity or gender affirming care. So at school, if a parent says, no, I do not believe my daughter is going to be transitioning to a boy, if you are stopping that affirming process, that can be against the law and the child can be removed from the parent. Now, Kat, most sane people would think that this is just madness. Um, How did it manage to get such reach into society and into schools? I'm going to jump on to Thomson Reuters. They brought them in because they're the marketing um, arm of the the organisation. They they are the ones that help them to how to bring this about. They said, you've got to take action quickly. So if there's any kind of political momentum, jump on it, carpe diem. Work with other LGBTQTI organisations, international trans rights organisations. They said when you campaign, target youth politicians, youthful politicians, target, you know, LGB politicians. Use human rights as a campaign point always. The trans rights are human rights. Everything is about its human rights. Ah, and this is what parents you will find in schools. They're talking about this whole gender identity thing as being a human right. So it's the human right of the boy who's transitioned to a girl to use the girl's toilets. So what else did they say? Try to make it so that you don't don't let people think that when you're transitioning children, it's got anything to do with medical focus instead on messages like being their authentic self. Yeah. So in defense of children, I do say go there because we've made it simple of what's what the school students, if you click on the student tab, you'll see what the students have been taught from K1 to K12 in one page, made it really simple. What teachers have been told they have to taught, made that simple, parents, and then we've got uh, underneath resources, school resources, we've got an alternative to the sex and gender guidelines um, per state. Um, look, Kat just mentioned a website, a um, bit hard to get, just jot it down. So we'll have it in the um, the episode notes. So you go to the episode, you can press play, but you can also scroll down to more and you'll be able to go to Kat's In Defence of Children website. Now, Kat, I I think parents would be sniffing the dangers now from what you've said, uh, the dangers to their their kids. But what's the end game for society? All these things, issues of self-ID and sanctions and et cetera, all of that together will queer culture. Overseas, where it's gone a bit further than us, like in Norway, a woman was brought to um, face five years jail for saying men cannot be women. So you have got state overreach when the state has more say over your child than you do. You've got ties to pedophilia. You've got a state-sanctioned ideology. You've got university school indoctrination. You've got transhumanism, authoritarianism, female erasure, state over family. And what the key thing is, is removal of objective truth. Wow, that was uh, Kat Karina, uh, and all her websites will be on the episode notes for for this episode, episode 33. Pretty difficult listening, isn't it? It's like it's some sort of big conspiracy, although, you know, it, it, it is crazy enough to be a conspiracy, but it's, but it's not. Uh, it's in our schools, it's in our universities, it's in our health departments, it's in government, it's in certainly in councils, it's everywhere. But what can parents do to minimise the impact of this ideology on their kids? I mentioned in the introduction there was a day coming up, September 14th, called Unteach the Overreach, which is an international day of action for parents and against the teaching of gender ideology uh, in schools. Now, um, I know that it's very difficult for parents to remove the kids from school for the day because the parents have to work, but there are other things that can be done. And I managed to talk with Ray Clark. Now, Ray started a 
website and an organisation called Stop Gender Education Australia. And the website is stopgendereducation.au. And I began by asking her what first sparked her concern about gender ideology in schools. Phil, I have three children. They're 21, 17 and 15. We're in Melbourne. And I noticed a real shift um, from my eldest to my youngest, even from my middle one to my youngest. I noticed that my youngest wasn't comfortable with debate and with different ideas. Now, we're a family. We eat dinner together most nights at our dinner table. It's always passionate discussion. It's always been a time when we talk about world and current events. And my kids have grown up seeing robust debate and discussion around the table. And there were two things I noticed up front. Um, the first, I guess, was both of my daughters, but especially my youngest, they were changing their language. So they were talking about other girls as they, and even when it was a singular girl, and I was really confused. Um, and their reaction then to me being confused and then when I worked out what was going on, going on a rant about it's a misuse of grammar and um, we should have, we shouldn't corrupt the English language, which was not even from a thoughtful perspective, but was just a reaction to how difficult and confusing I found the language. They were very judgmental um, and they couldn't maintain the idea of a discussion about it. I found that really concerning. Um, and then I started to notice that my youngest was unwilling to engage on any topics where she would have a different view to us or to me. And she saw not just my views, but me as a person in a very negative light. Um, and I started doing some digging in terms of, well, where's this coming from? Um, and I started really looking at material that they're doing at school, which is called Respectful Relationships. So all of this change in behaviour that you saw with your children, you think it came from that? I really do, yeah. It's a program that's been embedded across the curriculum. It was introduced in 2016, so my youngest was only eight then, and I think it's taken a while to ramp up, but it's certainly ramped up now. They've linked it across the curriculum to you know every area, but also health, but they've even linked it to English. And when the kids are getting this, all day, every day, and just getting a specific viewpoint, we very much saw it shaping them. So in this respectful relationships, uh, are they uh, portraying these views as being sort of uh, widely accepted and this is what people now accept and this is the way they see things? Yeah, they're only presenting that there's one way of viewing things. So they're modelling that, being respectful looks like X and there's only one way. And so, for example, that includes you must respect somebody's gender or identity. Um, and there's no modelling, there's no teaching around different views and values and how you could respectfully show a difference of opinion. So so what exactly is this respectful relationships thing? Yeah, so respectful relationship is marketed as a violence prevention program. So... I'll describe it as evidence-based and developed by experts. And the other one I like to say is it's age-appropriate. Uh, it's none of those things, and parents need to know that. Um, what it is, is it's a very well-funded effort to disrupt cis-heteronormativity. What, what, is, what is that? So that's a slur that they basically apply to anyone who's normal. So, who, who, you know, the cultural norms. So they want to disrupt um, and, and their own documents talk about that. Ah, uh, yes, Kat Karina talked about this earlier on. It's, it's like a, a fight against the normal. That They think that the gender is only the same as their sex because society has deemed it that way um, and that we're programming little boys to, like, you know, boys to grow, to grow up to be men and little girls to grow up to be women, that that's not a function of natural order. It's a function of power and social construct and needs to be turned on its head. So this gets down to the, the philosophies of Michael Foucault back in the 80s. Yeah, Michael Foucault, Judith Butler, they're all referenced in the Respectful Relationships material. Yeah. Now, Respectful Relationships creates numerous threats which are damaging for children. I could go on forever, but I guess as an overview, look, it, it, can it confuses language. So it mixes up male and female as being gender identity versus sex. It mixes up gender and sex constantly so it just creates confusion it destabilizes kids sense of self um, which leads to isolation and that also leads to destruction of our relationships and 
look, the name respectful relationship sounds nice superficially, but I see it as actually being about regulating and dictating human relationships. Now, in Victoria, parents might hear it called resilience, rights and respectful relationship, or the four R's, but it is now, it's in the national curriculum now, Australian curriculum, and the Victorian material, which has been incredibly well funded, um, there's even an Australian website for it, it's been released under um, Common Commons licence. Every school can use it, and even the external groups like Talking the Talk, Sex Ed and so on, they can use it and build on it. Um, can parents can parents get this and read it themselves? Yeah, they can, and it's it's really worth doing. So there's you can get it on the Victorian website, and there's also um, an Australian website for it, which I'll provide to you so you can put it in the show notes. Yep. Um, the thing to know about it is, so what they've done in Victoria is they've prepared seven booklets so there's one per foundation and then after that there's one for every two years so year one two year three four five six seven eight so on and they're huge some of them are huge so most of them are around 80 pages some are up to 150 so it's a lot to work through we're doing a lot of analysis of it and sort of putting together two-page overviews parents know what are the key problems with it what to look at um, because it's a government document on the surface when you read it you might go hmm, sort of seems okay but there's something a bit off um and so we've done a lot of work on you know analyzing the scenarios counting how many times parents are shown as being the problem um counting um how many times gender and sex are mixed up things like that really trying to zoom in and make it clear what's going on under the surface what, what are they saying that people are kids are born in the wrong body and they've got sort of the, the wrong body parts attached to them is are they going that far yeah, look, let me give you some specifics. So there's kind of three really big things I'll talk about. So one is they really push that parents are bad, but teachers are trusted and school is safe. Um, and we see this particular, they don't say it explicitly, but in terms of how often they present a scenario where the parent's the problem and then how often an activity suggests that you go to the teacher for help. So this is what you saw in your daughters, wasn't it? You saw that they were not, not, not relating to you. It, yes, um, and look, this is the opposite of safeguarding. All child practice knows that children do best with their families and that the family relationship should be promoted above all else. Um, respect for relationships does not do that. It actually undermines it. Now, the second thing, which is what you were sort of asking me about, is gender identity is embedded throughout, and they do this in several ways. So they mix up sex and gender repeatedly and use them each in the wrong context despite the way that they've um, defined them. They downplay biology, so they really focus on the lack of differences. So they'll, for instance, with the little ears in year one and two, they'll do games where there is no difference between boys and girls. And then they talk about, so there is no difference and sex doesn't matter. And you can see that then build, say, when you get to year five or six, where they give you a story of um, two so-called girls um, in the same sports team and using the same toilet and one girl's upset and it turns out that the other girl is actually a boy um, and the example has the, the true girl, the female, being castigated for being mean and there's no discussion of any, that there is A, a difference. The kids are taught, you know, who's the bully, who's the bystander. There's no discussion of, well, what else could she have done? How could different people's rights be respected? Um, and they, they actually have... Um, activities which encourage kids to explore their gender identity. There's one which they're encouraged to look at um, transgender role models and they can act out um, being a transgender role model. So, so hold on. So, so a 10-year-old can be asked to um, act out a transgender role model or read about them. Is that right? Yes, so some of the Year 5 kids would still be 10, so yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, it introduces language like um, definitely body parts. We start seeing that um, in Year 1 and 2, and they start talking about um, born with. So body parts are certain, they're sort of relegated to being historical artefacts, you know, it's just something you're born with. And then in Year 5, we see born in the wrong body come in year seven they use um, sex assigned at birth so all terms which very much um, are used by the 
transgender industry. So it's not science. It's certainly not biology. It's anti both of those things. It's simply an ideology like a religion, like a cult. Yeah, and it downplays the fact that sex is an important factor in identity development, that sex affects emotional, social, physical development. And it really downplays that and just makes it or something that you were born with that doesn't have any relevance later on. And then because it makes it body parts, when you get to year five and six, there's actually an activity called the gender machine and they construct gender. So you can see for very concrete thinkers how it would be very easy to get mixed up and to think, well, I can just change my body parts. Well, it certainly downplays the fact that sex is integral to the survival of our species. Marking the Roll is funded entirely by subscriptions and donations. You can subscribe via our Substack, or you can buy us a coffee via our Buy Me A Coffee page. Just go to the links in the episode notes to subscribe or donate. Subscription is $35 for the year, or you can buy us a coffee for as little as $5. Thanks for listening. Uh, how, How is this thing funded? So the funding is really interesting. I've tracked um, $300 million since 2009, $280 million in the last eight years. And that's not all of it. That's just what I found so far with most of that being Commonwealth and Victoria. Now, what that money means, a couple of things. A, you've got these booklets for each year group, which are incredible. So if you go on to sports or language or English, you won't see anything like this. The, you, you know, the level of detail gives the teachers lesson plans of what to teach and, and it's mapped, it's helpfully mapped to curriculum areas for them so that then if they um, are audited by any of the curriculum authorities, they can show how they're in, you know, meeting curriculum outcomes. So one is they've resourced it. The second is there's been significant funding provided to schools to enable them to upskill their teachers. So Every year, schools can apply for funding. This year, it's $10,000 per school to have teachers do the training. So what's happening is, particularly in primary schools, um, this is being delivered by the classroom teacher usually. And so it's happening not sort of externally from somebody that the kids don't know, but it's being embedded in other lessons with a teacher that they have real relationships with. So, so hold on, the teachers are being taught about this, is the every teacher in the school perhaps, and then they are going into the classroom and indoctrinating their students, their, the, the kids on this. So it's coming from uh, someone that the kids admire. But my understanding is that most teachers think a lot of this is rubbish, that yes, sure, the consent stuff is good, and there's a lot of the respect stuff is good, but teachers think that all the gender ideology stuff is just over the top. So I've heard anecdotally a lot of teachers don't do the more extreme stuff. They're just not comfortable with it. So they don't, they they skim over those areas. But even the less extreme things like body parts and um, um, the transgender role model stuff, even just, you know, some games which minimise sex differences in level one, two, it doesn't sound problematic, right? And if you're just a year one, two teacher and you haven't sort of joined the dots to all how this is then built on later on, it can seem like a good thing. So superficially, it ticks some boxes. Then you've got a well-funded campaign to train teachers and it also allows schools to say, well, we're meeting our child safe criteria. This is part of our wellbeing program. So many well-meaning teachers will think they're doing the right thing. It's it's a bit like um, the new history curriculum where if you ask a parent, look, your child is going to learn history, is that okay with you? And they'll go, yeah, of course, you know, history is really important. But then you look at the history curriculum and see that, that Captain Philip is mentioned once, Captain Cook is not mentioned at all. Um, and you think, oh, okay, I should have checked on that um, detail in the history curriculum, uh, the fact that Indigenous and, and Aboriginal is mentioned 156 times in the curriculum so so it's really parents responsibility to look down at that detail you're saying look it's unfortunate because i don't think it should need to be but that's the reality of where we are that you we can't trust schools to make these value judgments they've they've determined that this is age appropriate 
and that this is what respectful looks like. And that's just not consistent with many families' views. And as you said before, this is happening from kindergarten. This is not just a high school thing. It's happening from kindy. Oh, absolutely. And um, there's a, they're, they're doing an update at the moment. I sat in on a parent consultation and um, they showed us the year one material, which is teaching the children how to introduce themselves. Um, and the they teach them that it's respectful to introduce yourself as, you know, my name's this and you can refer to me this. What's your name and how would you like me to refer to you by and by that they, they give the example of pronouns and they say this is just basic respect. Ray, on introducing this episode, I had a a, a recording from a from Rye School in England, where um, the a, a child was identifying as a cat, and the teacher then um, backed that girl up and and was very angry at the other students for not believing that she was a cat and refusing to use the cat pronoun, whatever that is. So you're saying that this sort of education is happening in in schools right from the very start? Yeah, it is. And I mean, I heard that too. And I think it's the very rare student that would actually have that conversation with the teacher. Um, A lot of children whose parents I've spoken to even you know, even those whose parents speak to them about this and they have different views, they know it would be social suicide to express a counter view because um, there's no way to have respectful contradictory views. There's only one view that's allowed and if you don't have it, you're a bigot. And if you're a parent and you are concerned about respectful relationships, you need to be prepared, I think, for the straw man, which is, well, you don't understand that violence, domestic violence, is a really big problem and we need to prevent it. Now, that's ridiculous. Of course, domestic violence is a huge problem. There's no evidence that school-wide programs can prevent it. Um, And there is evidence that they're harmful. We've got some information about that on our website. And certainly in Victoria, we've seen the rate of violence amongst children, between children, increase since respectful relationships was introduced. But the argument that you don't think domestic violence is important, um, be prepared for it so that you can just bat it back. Don't be surprised. Now, are there any states that are worse than others? You've mentioned Victoria is really bad, but, but... I've had a couple of emails saying that Queensland is really bad with this. Yeah, so look, in 2010, Respectful Relationships Education was introduced into the health and PE stream of the Australian curriculum. So, um, and, and many of our states use the Australian curriculum. There was a report done in 2021 by Monash Uni, um, which is a, it's an overview of all these programs in Australia. And it, it it makes for pretty concerning reading. And they they hold Victoria's program out as being the best, as being the most gender transformative. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, I know, I know. And it's the one that's held out. Now, since then, we've seen um, uh, Queensland ramp theirs up. I think the reason why Victoria's had the biggest effect is because it's the best funded. And so therefore, you know, they will. it's proudly on the government's website. 100% of government schools are doing it. They've also, the money I said that they made available to train teachers, they've made it available to private and Catholic schools as well. So there's something like over 400 independent schools and Catholic schools um, that are also teaching it. Now, I don't expect you to comment on this, Ray, but um, could it be so well funded in Victoria because Melbourne has the Royal Children's Hospital Uh, And that hospital has the country's biggest gender service. I wonder. Um, Ray, how can a parent find out what's going to be taught um, to their child at school? Yeah. Look, Phil, that's a great question because that's actually the first thing that parents need to do. Um, in Victoria, it's all available online if your kid's at a public school. And I believe it's the same in most states. So on our website, certainly for respectful relationships, we have a table which has the links to where the teaching materials that are used for respectful relationships in state schools um, for each state. Now, some schools will outsource it. Um, they'll use groups like Minus 18 or Talking the Talk Sex Ed or whatever else. 
what seems to occur at most schools is if they have an external group in, they seem to be very good about letting parents know. They'll put something in the newsletter and say, oh, we're having this group, they're experts, they've got age-appropriate material. If you have any concerns or you want to know what they're doing, you can let us know. And because they're so upfront about it, I think most parents go, oh, all right, nothing to see here. Yeah, so yeah, the first right. thing I'd say is when you see that, jump on it. Say, great, thank you. Yes, I'd like to see it. Do you think some of these external groups like Minus 18 are, are presenting the full story to the parents? Now, when it's an external group, one of the things that parents have found is sometimes they'll get a special presentation that's been prepared for parents. It's not what's being shown to the children. Uh, so you, you want to see, well, what's being given in the classroom? What about the worksheets and the crosswords and the colouring-ins and blah, blah, blah? And a number of parents have got, well, it's copyright. So in that situation, our advice is, we'll say, no problems, I don't need a copy, but can I please come in and have a look at it? Now, if they're not willing to show you, I think it's quite simple. You simply say, well, no, my kid can't do it. Um, but ideally, they'll say, sure, come in and have a look. And when you go in, there's a few, especially if you're confronted by 100 pages or just look for the things that you know are concerning for you. Does it mix up um, sex and gender does it promote gender identity does it promote concepts that you just think are not age appropriate for your kid you know talking to primary school age children about sexuality many children just aren't ready for that so you you're saying ray that look for the key words like identity like uh, gender and sex sort of being mixed up that sort yeah. of key word and, and look look for how parents are portrayed look for parents if parents are even in there or if parents are missing and it's all about like who are the trusted people that are presented as helping kids solve problems because you really want your kids to have modeled to you certainly until late adolescence that you know you're a primary key person to, to assist with problem solving now ray investigating all this takes a lot of time and a lot of energy from parents, I'd imagine. Now, it is quite a bit of work. We're trying to help with that. So for Victoria, we have two-page overviews that we've prepared for the Respectful Relationships material. And we've also prepared some letters to help you have your child removed, which I can talk about. But in those, there's um, a table for each grade. Um, it links those to the harms that we've identified. Um, now, we'd love to do the same for every state. So any parents listening who... Um, would like to help reach out we can help hold your hand to know what to do and how to go about it but if you do your state it will help every other parent in your state uh, is there anything for new south wales parents there there's an opt-out letter but there's nothing yet that reviews the material to help parents know so we do have a link to the um uh, the respectful relationship used in new south wales government schools but we don't have a review yet Okay, so there's an opt-out form, though, for parents. There's an opt-out form, and it requires parents, in order to use it, they need to actually distill down what it is they want to opt out of. So if they want to use that letter, um, it would be great if they can then share with us what they've distilled down um, and written so that they can opt out of it. Um, look, from, from my reading, the documents that have been prepared... Um, are developed by experts in the field, mainly from academics. Are they really experts? Well, many of them are experts in sociology or queer theory or post-structuralism. Um, what they're not is experts in child development. So the lead author of the Victorian Respectful Relationships material, she recently confirmed that they've not had the material reviewed by a developmental psychiatrist, psychologist, um, and that they have no longitudinal data. So a psychologist has not looked at this stuff and said, "Oh, look, it's not really suitable for for year tens, and and gee, this could be this this scenario could be causing them to have bad dreams at night." Nothing like that. Well, not a developmental psychologist, which was what we asked about, because you know, developmental psychologists are particularly concerned with what's appropriate for different stages of development. So to give you an idea of these experts, I recently saw an article in the Melbourne Age, which is one of our daily broadsheets. And it quoted one of these external experts named Vanessa Hamilton of Talking Sex. And she was quoted as saying, there is no such thing as too young. People say they'll lose their innocence if we tell them too young. But that implies learning about human sexuality is wrong, shameful, harmful, bad or taboo. So clearly there's no awareness there 
of a child's cognitive, emotional and developmental readiness. And, you know, by her rationale, calculus must be wrong and shameful because we don't teach kindergarten children about calculus. Yes. Yeah, so why isn't Einstein introduced in year one? <laughs> exactly. Clearly, because he's shameful and... <sighs> Dear, yeah. Look, my my experience in in uh, universities and academia is that these academics really um, have their head in the clouds, and they're they're very big on the philosophy of it all. But most of them, many of them, don't even have children. They wouldn't know what a child is capable of doing. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think it's about funding grants. So I've traced several million dollars in ARC grants, which is the Australian Research Grants. Um, Michael Flood was behind a lot of this. He alone has attracted $2.3 million in funding. Oh, no. And, um, I, used, I used to know. Now, I'll just stop there for a second because at this stage of the interview, I had an apoplexy because the name Michael Flood uh, triggered me terribly. When my first book came out in 1998, a book on fatherhood called The Fatherload, I argued that dads and mums were equal but different, that uh, mums could do things dads couldn't do, like breastfeed, and, and dads could do some other things like, um, you know, protect the child in physical activity. Um, so uh, at that time, Flood was uh, preaching the transgender stuff. This is 1998. So we locked horns. So that's why I had a um, reaction to that name. We didn't get along. So Michael started this in 2007 with a paper for Vic Health, right? So he was the first. Um, and... So the academics, um, and I've got a, I've been working on, you know, you've got academics from Melbourne, from La Trobe, from Deakin, from Monash, um, all of the Melbourne Uni Centre have got to look in. They're getting funding for doing it. And the academics will go wherever the funding is. And we've had, so, so this was introduced when we had Labor governments in, in, in power in the Commonwealth. Um, and it's been really pushed by the Victorian government, which has had um, Labor governments for the last, I think it's eight years. Um, so that's where the money is. If we go back to the classroom for a sec, I know that the classroom teacher or a teacher from the school uh, has to sit in in New South Wales in these sessions. I'm not sure about other states, but in New South Wales, that a teacher from the school has to sit in on them. Um, but do you think it's worthwhile a parent asking to sit in on them? Look, I've not heard of this occurring and I doubt many teachers or schools would allow it. So it's not just what's in the materials, it's the conversations that the material opens the door to um, and that's why you'd want to sit in because um, these are conversations you don't want an adult outside your family to be having with your child. I think you can get enough of an inference from looking at the materials to say, well, I don't want my kid anywhere near an environment where I can imagine what sort of conversations could be held, you know, the door open to, why would I want my kid to be in there? I don't need to go in to hear it. So so what can a parent do? Okay, they can go to uh, stopgendereducation.au and you've got lots of information there, but what can a parent do if they are concerned about this content? We're pushing a three-step process, which is look, set, tell. So look at what your child's being, looked, uh, being taught. That's the first step. And we've talked a bit about that and on our website we've got quite a bit of information to help you get started. The second step is to set boundaries. So set boundaries for what's okay for your child to be taught. So there's a requirement on schools to teach certain things. It doesn't mean that it has to be taught to your child. You're the parent, you set the boundaries, you determine what's controversial for you, what you think is harmful for your child, what is incompatible with your beliefs and values. So once you've looked at it and worked out what they're teaching, then you can set the boundaries. And then the third step is tell school what those boundaries are, what's off limits for your child. Okay, but this is where some parents are going to confront a hurdle because how do you actually tell the school? Do you go up and tell the principal? Do you write a letter? What's the best way to do it? It depends on the school and it depends on the state and it depends on what it is. So, for example, Victoria, if it's sex ed, the policy is you can simply opt out. Um, they don't have to ask you, but you can just write and say, I don't want them doing sex ed. So that's super easy. If it's respectful relationships, which they've got in by a, you know, far more sort of embedded methods, um, it's a bit more difficult. And so this is where uh, most states will have a policy that will be something along the lines of um, controversial materials. And it's about teaching materials that might be controversial for some families and how the school deals with that. Um, 
And they'll typically take the same approach, which is where you have to show that it's controversial for your family and why, and why you think it's harmful for your child. Now, for New South Wales parents, the 2023 guidance um, for the Department of Education says that um, parents and carers need to be advised of the specific details of school activities, programs or events addressing controversial issues and the relevance to the curriculum and school programs and activities. Uh, Where advice is appropriate, it says, you must be given prior uh, information So parents and carers can provide consent or withdraw their child from a particular session on controversial issues. And the next sentence is the most important. It says, the parental right to withdraw their child must be respected. Now, Ray, if if a parent withdraws their child from a, a session or a class... Do they have to do other work, like does the school have to provide other content for them? The the, the schools are supposed to provide an alternative teaching material. My personal view is, look, your goal here as a parent is to protect your child. And how do we protect him or her? And that's getting them out of those classes. And if that means they're sitting in the library reading a book and missing out on the games that the other kids are doing, yeah, that's unfortunate. But you know what? That's better than them being in that class. And principals are very, very busy. And to get into the argy-bargy of this is not what they want either. They want an, an, an easy solution and simply excusing the child is the easiest. Do you think it helps if a parent has a friend to go with who is a like thinker? Because I've heard of some parents being labelled as a, um, a transphobe because they don't want some of this education. Um, does it help if you have a, a couple to be in support? Um, I think the real advantage of having a friend is actually if it's a friend with a child in the same class because then then your child has a peer in the library. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, we're adults, right? We can put up with Yes, it. good point. But for the kids that's in the library when their other friends are doing games that seem innocuous, because a lot of the games, you know, they do what the time used to wolf for... Um, um, sleeping giants but they turn it around that's got a little hidden message but you know they're fun um, and you need to be explaining to your child why you're making this view this decision that this is what some people think and this is why it's problematic um, but for them to have a buddy to go with would be ideal so okay so you might have one or two other parents and and so your child will have other uh, children to be with in the library but what is the most important point to push when you talk with the with the um, the head of well-being or the principal? You've got to be really careful how you do it. And if you go in with a general complaint that's about wanting to change the program, then the risk is it won't be dealt with under controversial teaching materials and the principal can just put it in the general complaints pile. Um, what you want is that it's dealt with. So therefore, it has to be specific to the kid and mm. it's got to be about the harms to the kid. And if you focus on the harms that this is going to cause to your child... Um, the principal has to do something. Yeah, look, this is really important uh, part of this episode. So for, for parents listening, you don't come out and go, oh, this, this philosophy is silly. What you do is focus on the harm that is being done to your child. Is that right? That's right. And so long as you're specific and it's about the harms, then they have to deal with it under this policy. And if you're going to be a nice compliant parent and say, look, it's fine for my kid to go to the library and read a book, then the path of least resistance for that principal is to say, fine, your child can go to the library and read a book. Uh, Now, as a final question, Ray, a lot of parents are thinking, should I discuss this with my child? Yes, I can investigate it. I can can set my rules and and I can act and do that. But should I talk to my child about it and say, look, Johnny, um, I'm a bit concerned about what Miss Smith is talking about in the classroom. Um, Can you just let me know what's happening if you hear these words mentioned? Do you have that sort of discussion with your child? Yeah, Phil, I think that's really important. So we've got our model for schools, which is look, set, tell, and look at the content, set boundaries, tell school. But the other plank of it is to prepare your child. There's conversations you should have with your child so you're pre-preparing them for the sorts of things they might hear and what you think about them 
and why and modelling different ways to be respectful and kind and loving towards people with different views but not accepting those views because they're different to what we believe in our family. Um, some of the examples that I've heard of parents doing is um, that they teach their children that if um, certain conversations that a teacher might have, and I can give you examples, that their response needs to be to tell the teacher that, that their parents don't want them to be involved in these discussions. And if the teacher doesn't stop to go to the, say, look, my mum wants me to go to the principal's office if this is discussed and not to leave the principal's office until the principal calls mum or dad. So you equip them with the exact language that they can use. So yes, you, you, you equip them with res response, so a formula response, and you also equip them with what to watch out for. And that will be different for different families. But things like if there's any example of, well, you can't tell if somebody's a boy or a girl, or somebody can be a boy on the outside, a girl on the inside, or, um, well, some people can be born in the wrong body, um, that those are all conversations which a child should be empowered to say look my family have different views about that this is something that my parents do not want me being taught about at school because it's hard for some children to put their hands up and you know stand out so the other thing is to write to the teacher and say this is what I've done with my child you know my child isn't going to want to approach you um, in front of their other peers so they're going to approach you by saying excuse me Miss Smith this is the topic, this is one of those topics my mum emailed you about. May I please go to the principal's office? You know, I need or yeah. I need to go yeah. to the principal's office. They're not asking for permission. They're just going and you're giving them permission. And if enough children do that, that will get the message through to schools. But it's, it's teaching your kid and you know your kid. There's some children that will be more comfortable um, speaking up in front of the others. But if you make yourself the culprit... You know, my mum isn't happy. You know, mum's the problem and that gives the kids an out, which is great. You know, my mum's not happy for me to be taught this. I need to leave the classroom now. Yeah, and even having, do you think having it on a little bit of laminated paper, like a, a little card that the, the child can get up and simply give it to the teacher. The teacher doesn't have to respond and then they just leave the room. <laughs> It's like they're giving the teacher a little yellow card and there's no discussion or t at all. There's nothing needs to be said. That's actually a really great suggestion, Phil. And I think emailing a copy of it to the teacher at first saying, I've given this to my child. And, you know, if they show you this, you'll know. And if your kid has it on their desk or in their pencil case, it helps if they're just not sure. You know, and it's just a reminder every day. And, and that little card is signed by the parent. So the teacher can't say, oh, Johnny, get that card off your desk. And that is simply used whenever the child hears those particular words. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be, yes. You know, I think just be flexible about where it sits, if it's on the desk or if it's in the child's pencil case or wherever it is. Ray, it's been a fascinating discussion. There'll be a lot of parents from other states wanting um, information about this. Um, what do you suggest they do? Look, we'd love to have you make contact. Our website is stopgendereducation.au. If you can help us by reviewing the materials in your state and preparing a couple of page overview, we can get that up and that will help other parents in your state not having to reinvent the wheel. So if you've got a kid in year three and you can do year three in Queensland, sensational. Somebody else could do year five in WA or year seven in New South Wales and so on and so on. If we can prepare two-page overviews of what parents need to be looking for and what key concerns are, this will really help parents take that first fundamental step of look at what your kid's being taught so that they can set boundaries and then tell school what's off limits for their kids. Terrific. Thanks so much for talking to us, Ray. No problems, Phil. And that was Ray Clark from Stop Gender Education Australia. And the link to her website, where you can find all that information that you need, uh, will be in the episode notes. So parents, there's been a lot to digest here. Um, yes, the teacher in the classroom may be teaching some of this stuff, but according to Ray, uh, teachers are more sensible than that and they're, they're filtering it out. But it's the external providers, providers um, like uh, Minus 18, like Elephant Ed, like Empowered Together, who do really do do some, some great things. Um, but it's important that you look 
at the detail, at the uh, case studies, at the colouring in, at exercises that the students have got to do um, in order to really uh, establish what's going on in those sessions. For senior students, it will be the case studies and the discussion scenarios that you need to take note of. Don't forget, it's Unteach the Overreach on September 14. If you can um, leave your child home from school that day as a protest against gender education, although I think mainly that day will, will really come into its own in a year's time. You've been listening to Marking the Roll, episode 33. My name's Phil Dye. And I thought I'll leave you with some words from Kat Karina. I'll see you in a few weeks. One, what you need to do is put definitions back in law, put male and female back in law. The word gender needs to be replaced with the word sex in the Anti-Discrimination Act, and sex can't be conflated with gender identity in law. So that's a very critical case. Schools teach everyone has an internal sense of gender identity. And of course, they teach that gender dysphoria is an identity, and it's not. It's a diagnosable mental condition. And the idea that a child has an authentic identity is a myth. Because children are children. They go through a series of identities as they mature. I used to think I was a cat, you know. As adults, as adults, we don't treat every declaration our children make as though it's permanent. It's an authentic identity until it's not because they are children. Mm-hmm.